Welcome to the Craig Selinger Podcast. Sit back and relax while listening to popular topics from educators, therapists, and doctors. Craig Selinger, New York City speech language pathologist, learning specialist, owner of Brooklyn Letters and Temba Tutors, will break it down so you enjoy learning more about a wide range of topics by connecting you with experts in the field. Hi, welcome. Today we have Dr. Jordan Wright. He's an assessment psychologist, professor at NYU, and he runs the Center for Counseling and Community Wellbeing at NYU. Thank you, Jordan, for, for being here. Sure, happy to be here. So I'm really excited that you're here because um, we have a hot topic to discuss involving remote or tele-psychological um, assessment. Now, for those that don't know anything about neuropsych testing, can you explain to us what, what a neuropsychological assessment is? Sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll try and do it as succinctly as I yes. can. <laughs> um, so in general, when you have a kid, I, I'm going to focus on kids today. Yes, um, thank you. When you have a kid who is having some difficulties, having prim- primarily difficulties at school, they are entitled to an evaluation and the school districts will provide an evaluation, but it'll be a psychoeducational evaluation. It'll be sort of the bare minimum to try and understand what is going on with that kid. A neuropsych evaluation is a much more comprehensive evaluation. Typically it's done by a clinic or a private practitioner, some assessment psychologist. It, It has to be a psychologist who does it. it. It is not within the scope of practice of any other field, psychiatrists or social workers or anything, it's gotta be a psychologist who is, is conducting the evaluation. And the idea behind it is to take a snapshot of what is going on for a kid right now, as well as what are the reasons behind what is going on. So a psychoeducational evaluation in school will help you figure out what's going on right now. It'll tell you academically how they're doing, sort of a little bit behaviorally, maybe their general IQ. But a comprehensive neuropsych evaluation, our goal is always to figure out why. The underlying mechanisms, is it that they're getting subpar education? Is it that they have a brain-based problem like ADHD or some other issue that is impeding their learning? Or is it something else? Is it something more emotional that's getting in the way in the classroom of them being able to access all the information and learn it in the way that their brain is capable of? So in neuropsych evaluation, we're really trying to be as comprehensive as possible to describe what is going on and what is most likely underlying that so that we can make recommendations for the best way to then move forward. Do they need a special ed classroom? Do they need some sort of outside intervention like counseling? Do they need some other intervention that can most help them be as productive as possible as students as and, and overall as individuals. Oh, thank you, Jordan. Now, going back to 2015, you actually started to become interested in remote assessments. So tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. so I, I started looking at teleassessment or remote assessment, assessment over the internet, over Zoom mm-hmm. or whatever, um, a, a while ago, mainly because there were kids in remote areas who didn't have access to a school psychologist easily. And there were kids in sort of high density urban populations 
that the school psychologists were just overwhelmed. They were overloaded. And then there were other areas where kids were getting seen immediately. And, and the school psychologists and, and private practice psychologists like myself had, had time to spare and could do this. So I was really interested in, in finding ways to redistribute the workforce. So if I, uh, I live in New York City, and if I could do an evaluation of somebody in rural upstate New York, rather than having to drive four hours to get there, do an assessment and drive four hours back, that would mean more kids could have access mm-hmm. to evaluations in a quicker amount of time. That's great. And then fast forwarding, um, I know you've written a bunch of books, but in 2020, you wrote Conducting Psychological Assessment, a Guide to Practitioners, and then in, in this year, 2021, Essential of Psychological Teleassessment. Um, now, why did you decide to write these books? Well, the Conducting Psych Assessment, this is more for training and for, for practitioners. And this is something that the, the second edition came out in 2020, and it's been my passion for training and supervising and consulting to make sure assessment is good out there. There's a lot of bad assessment out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to make sure that it's good assessment that's happening out there. So that book is, is more about an evidence-based approach mm-hmm. to psychological testing and assessment, comprehensive assessments. The tele-assessment book came because I um, have done research in this area, become an expert in this area. Um, and I was approached by a colleague of mine, Susie Rayford, who mm-hmm. co-wrote it with me um, and the publisher, because at the beginning of the pandemic, people were scrambling, psychologists mm-hmm. were scrambling and looking for how can we do this? What is the evidence base behind it? Um, so I worked with Susie to pull together all of the evidence um, for how to do this validly, to how to make mm-hmm. sure we are, if we're doing an assessment over the internet, we wanna make sure that it is a good, valid, reliable assessment So we pulled together all of the resources out there um, and looked at all the research, not just mine, but other uh, very smart colleagues were doing research in this area, especially around neuropsych assessments. Um, And and this has been going back quite a while. So we pulled it all together and and the tele-assessment book is kind of a a how-to. It's it's a pretty Mm -hmm. short book and it is for psychologists who wanna do tele-assessments how to do it in a valid ethical way. Great. So a lot of times parents, you know, they'll learn that they might want to pursue a neuropsychological evaluation and do the pandemic. Um, They're a bit cautious, depending on obviously in lots of factors for bringing their child into a practitioner's office. Now, based on what you have learned, what what would you tell, and again, this could be from, you know, elementary or even preschool, middle school, high school, college students. Um, and obviously it depends on, you know, what the, you know, why the parents are worried or why the school is worried. There's lots of factors here. Um, but what, what would you advise these parents that are considering having a remote um, neuropsychological assessment? Yeah, so there, there are three things I think of, and I'll try and remember mm-hmm. these three in my mind mm-hmm. as I'm talking. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is if you're going to seek out a remote neuropsych assessment, ask them what training they've had in remote neuropsych assessments. Um, I've been, you know, over the past year doing so many webinars and trainings and consulting, and there are there are several of us who have become really, really good at this, but you want to make sure that they are adequately trained to do this, and they can point you to oh, I've done these webinars with these people. 
you know, they can point to, this is going to sound very self-serving, but they can point mm-hmm. to the Essentials book, which is the mm-hmm. only written resource on doing tele-assessments at this point. Mm-hmm. So they can point to the fact, oh, I know what I'm doing because I have done this, um, this training, this self-preparation, that kind of stuff. So that's the first thing. Make sure mm-hmm. they're adequately trained. Um, if they're adequately trained, it is entirely valid. Mm-hmm. Number two, be very careful if you are uh, preschool. Um, The evidence is actually pretty much against doing these neuropsych evaluations online and remotely Mm -hmm. for preschool age kids. By the time they hit five, six, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And and from seven on, we're solid and Mm -hmm. we've we've got good evidence that this is good assessment uh, uh, moving beyond there. Um, But for these early, early childhood assessments, um, it's actually not a great, uh, um, we're not really recommending that uh, you go through with a neuropsych evaluation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I guess the third, this was not the third I was thinking, but it slipped mm-hmm. my mind. So here's sure. another third. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing is um, you need to know um, what you're evaluating. Oh, I do remember the third, mm-hmm. um, because there are some things that just can't be done. Um, I'll give you sort of the, the prime example is autism evaluations for mm-hmm. younger children. Um we can do some work around autism evaluation and we can make a pretty good um, diagnosis of autism, but there is a measure called the ADOS, which is sort of the gold standard Mm -hmm. of um, autism evaluations. And it cannot be done in tele-assessment. You you just can't do it remotely. It's got a lot of toys and bubbles and interactive things. And it's really hard to blow bubbles toward a kid over Mm -hmm. the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, So the real third thing, which is now the fourth thing that I was thinking of is Um, Be very, very cautious to do any neuropsych assessment with PPE. Um, So although it seems like it should be better to, you know, just maintain a little distance and wear some masks and that kind of stuff, we actually have no research supporting what this does to the data that come out. So we don't know the impact of wearing a mask. If I'm Wearing a mask and trying to get you to answer questions, you can hear how muffled it is. Absolutely. And that can affect huh. what a kid does, how a kid interacts. The same thing for like plexiglass. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, no one knew the pandemic was coming. No one did this research. So no one tried to figure out what doing it outside in someone's backyard mm-hmm. does. We have zero evidence. So I would really caution parents against doing an evaluation with PPE with social distancing. Um, and, and even like I'm vaccinated and fully vaccinated, Mm -hmm. but I still don't want to sit in a, in a room in my office for five hours with one, with a kid Mm -hmm. who is not vaccinated because our, most of our kids are not vaccinated. Um, it brings up anxiety in me. I assume it brings up anxiety Mm -hmm. in kids. Mm -hmm. So I just caution against the in-person stuff right now. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like a hybrid solution, would you, would you recommend that at all? Yeah. Again, I mean, certainly there are, are hybrid mm-hmm. solutions. Certainly we can do interviews mm-hmm. over the internet and you can fill out surveys over the internet. And then when we want to get to like IQ testing, maybe in person is a little bit better or academic, but we fall into those same problems. Mm-hmm. Um, the hybrid, if the in-person part is either using PPE or causing anxiety, mm-hmm. that's gonna affect a kid's performance. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So again, I caution against mm-hmm. even the hybrid right now at this point in history, just because of these issues. It's not going to be as valid mm-hmm. as even the the teleassessment, the completely remote assessment. Mm-hmm. We know what's valid and what's not. Mm-hmm. When you bring PPE into it, we just don't know. Okay, interesting. Now, what if here are some questions that I hear? For example. Wh- let's say the child does not have autism, but let's say um, someone argues, well, if you're doing a teleassessment, you might be missing out on those nuanced, like nonverbal cues, right? Yeah. So I'm going to say yes and no. So Mm -hmm. teleassessment is sort of a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Um, We do miss certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, You may or may not be able to tell right now that I have a Mm -hmm. pen in my hand. No, I had no idea. No idea. You would miss anything from the shoulders down. However, what it allows is it allows you to focus on much more nuance on the face where we Mm -hmm. show a lot of reaction, a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. And if you in, in, if you were in my office and you were fiddling Mm -hmm. with a pen, Mm -hmm. my eyes would be down there and maybe missing some of the nuance on the face. Mm -hmm. So although we're saying, yeah, you may miss some stuff, it's actually highlighting some other stuff that we might miss otherwise. Interesting. So it's not a worse sort of behavioral observation. It's just a different one. Mm -hmm. And we're able to glean a lot of information from the facial expressions, the facial features. And it also um, forces us to rely on the data a little Mm -hmm. bit more, um, which Mm -hmm. we should be doing anyway. We really shouldn't be, you know, clouding um, my impressions with how I feel about you in the room, mm-hmm. right? I have my own biases. I have mm-hmm. my own things that get me off track. And mm-hmm. this forces me not to get so off track and not to be like, oh, well, he was fiddling the whole time. So maybe mm-hmm. he wasn't paying attention. You know, I can tell if you're paying attention by your mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people like me, I pay attention better if I'm fiddling. Mm-hmm. No, that that's a great point. No, and I like the prop. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that was actually <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so, what if a parent says, "Well, what if I pursue a remote or even hybrid um, neuropsychological evalu- evaluation? Will the school reject it?" Um, yeah. So it it I, flat out, it depends on your district. It depends on your jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York, most of uh, the school districts are saying we will accept a, a teleassessment. Mm-hmm. They may ask you to redo the evaluation a year from now mm-hmm. um, if and when fully in-person traditional assessments are, are there. Um, the alternative, though, is just postponing and pressing pause mm-hmm. on a kid getting the resources they need. And to me, that is not a viable solution. I think mm-hmm. that's for me, it's not super ethical of me mm-hmm. to, to advise you to just wait and see mm-hmm. because um, even I've, I've become a broken record over the past year mm-hmm. saying, although our world has paused right. a little bit, mm-hmm. our kids have not paused developing. They haven't paused learning. They haven't paused what's being expected of them in school. Mm-hmm. So if they need supports, they need supports now. Mm-hmm. So Yes, you could just wait it out for a year, but you need to decide for yourself, if my kid is struggling, wouldn't I rather them get some supports now? Mm-hmm. The school districts need, are most of them feel the same way. Most of okay. the school districts 
are feeling now like, okay, if you can make a good argument that your kid needs some extra support right now, we will honor that. You may want to go to your school ahead of time and just confirm it. Mm-hmm. You may want to go because there are some school districts out there who just have drawn a hard line for whatever reason against teleassessment, against the assessment over, over the internet. So let's say worst case scenario, you're a parent and you're getting a lot of pushback from your school or your school district. Now, is this something like a psychologist can be like an advocate for the parent? A hundred percent. I do this all the time. I have gone to school districts. It's one of the reasons uh, that we wrote the teleassessment essentials book. Chapter one, we summarized all of the research for what is supported and what is not. Mm -hmm. So I can go to a school district and say, here is this chapter, read it, and then you tell me why you're rejecting anything having to do mm-hmm. with teleassessment. Now, if I if I came to them again with like an autism evaluation using the ADOS through virtual somehow saying this, then they could say, well, you used something that's not validated in the mm-hmm. research. And I'd say, you are right. You have a good reason to reject my assessment. But if I'm using what is standard for most learning disability, ADHD, others, you know, emotional evaluations, then I, as an advocate, can go in and say, look, I have done this in accordance with the empirical support and you have no basis for rejecting it. I, you know, when I do these evaluations, that's part of the package. Like if you're, mm-hmm. if you're paying for a neuropsych evaluation with me in my private practice, you're paying, a, you know, a lump sum for the evaluation, for the report, and for some advocacy afterward as needed. I co- I go to IEP meetings all the time, mm-hmm. 504 meetings. I advocate for the kid to get the supports that they need in this mm-hmm. moment in time. That's great. No, that's 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 wonderful. I think a lot of parents don't know that. Um, now, what if I'm a parent and I have a child, again, I don't know, say 10 years old, and I say, well, you know what? I'm convinced that I'm okay moving forward with a remote uh, private neuropsych, but my, my hesitations are my child's extremely hyperactive, gets distracted, is a bit defiant. I don't know how the hell you're going to evaluate my child remotely. So what, what would you tell that parent? Yeah, I, well, a few things. As, as a parent of a 10-year-old, I can speak to Oh, interesting. To, okay. <laughs> I can speak to a 10-year-old's attention span and, and whatnot. Yeah. Um, We've been really successful at engaging kids. Certainly in teleassessment, we may have to do more shorter sessions, right? Mm -hmm. We may have to do like five hour long sessions, whereas in normal times, I might have them in my office for a five hour day, right? I might just Mm -hmm. get them in, capture them, Mm -hmm. and I can be really engaging in person and we can play with games and fidget spinners and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I may have to do shorter sessions, but Right now in this world, our our kids, as young as kindergarten, are Mm -hmm. very well equipped with tele-something, right? They've been in school online. They've had to do this. And certainly some of them are bouncing off the walls. Some of that can be okay, right? If I'm um, helping them through a questionnaire, I may just be throwing questions at them. And they can be rolling around on their bed Mm -hmm. while answering the questions, Mm -hmm. as long as they're answering the questions. And, Mm -hmm. And sometimes... Kids with ADHD mm-hmm. do better, right? Mm-hmm. I, again, I speak of myself where I, growing up, I needed, you know, music playing to study, a mm-hmm. TV on, like music playing and a TV on 
and my book in front of me to study appropriately. Wow. So mm. actually we can engage mm. them in, in this way. We can also abort a session, right? If a kid runs out of the room, mm-hmm. we can say, you know what, let's stop for today and we'll mm-hmm. reconvene at a different time. We can also work with parents to decide when is the best time to get them, mm-hmm. right? So maybe after a full school day on Zoom or if they're mm-hmm. back in person, maybe a three o'clock appointment is not a good idea for your kid. Maybe actually let's skip school one day. This is important enough to like miss school one day and get as much done as we can at 9 a.m. in the morning when a kid is more fresh, has just eaten. Um, In in some rare instances, we may need to enlist a parent Mm -hmm. to say, you know, you sit in the room with the kid Mm -hmm. and you can help redirect them. You can help, you know, get them focused and answer the questions and that kind of stuff. Um, But it's, it's no worse than in, mm-hmm. in a room with me, right? An ADHD yeah. kid hopping off the walls is an ADHD mm-hmm. kid hopping off the walls. Right. No, but it actually, it's interesting. It's almost like if you do a remote, um, you know, neuropsych assessment and depending obviously on the profile of the, of the student, it, sound, it sounds like you can kind of customize in a way like how to allocate your time, how to allocate the testing. You're not obviously deviating from the protocol, but again, you know, maybe if a student, as you said, is maybe they're fresher in the morning and, and you can get them more tuned or, you know, more engaged versus at the end of the day where they're, they're just done. Like no matter what, they're just like, I'm, I'm spent. I, I really don't have the, the capacity. Um, and and, that, and that, to me, that's how it should be in a way, right? Without deviating from any norms is that you, you work with the individual to the best that, you know, they can perform in a way. Um, yeah, there are there are sort of three different types of measures we use mm-hmm. in a neuropsych evaluation. There's one type that's about history, and that's, you know, we can interview a parent, we can get teacher input, we can do stuff about sort of what went on in, in the past. The other two are really important. One is called um, typical functioning measures, mm-hmm. and one are called optimal functioning measures. Mm-hmm. So typical functioning measures are how a kid functions in their normal everyday life. Mm-hmm. So surveys are really good for this. Teacher surveys, parent surveys, kids self-report surveys are really good for this. This is just typically, what does this kid look like on an everyday basis? Optimal functioning measures are really about what their brain can do under the best possible circumstances. These are our IQ tests, our achievement tests, our academic tests, and a lot of our neuropsych tests are looking at under the best possible circumstances, can they focus, right? When we're doing an ADHD evaluation, I wanna know, can, the, can their brain focus under the best possible circumstances? So we need to be adaptive. We mm-hmm. need to make sure this kid is in their best state of mind where we need to make sure that really this is the best they can do. And if they are showing us for some reason that today for, for whatever reason, they're not at their best, um, sometimes that is their best. Sometimes kids mm-hmm. who are bouncing around, that's, that's their best. That's what their brain can do and handle. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they show us in some way that it is not their best, we can absolutely switch to a different measure. Like let's switch to a typical functioning measure. Cause I don't need you at your best mm-hmm. for, for filling out those surveys or answering these types of questions about your normal everyday functioning. So a good neuropsych can tailor to what we see on the other side of the screen. No, that's great. I honestly, I've learned a lot and I think it is reassuring. I, I, I'm sure for parents um, that are that are tuning in to watch this because it does, 
again, when something you're faced with something new, you get these images, these thoughts, these biases. And then once you get informed, you're like, wow, this is actually, this can be great for my child. And, and particularly, I think a lot of parents have been hesitant. And, and I do agree with what you, with your sentiments that you, you, you know, children's have, everyone has needs, right? And you can't just put your needs on hold and you have to figure out what's the best way for you and your family to kind of move forward. And, and I think what you were saying is extremely helpful for parents that might be hesitant to bring their child into an office and, and, you know, and also hesitant because they don't know much about um, tele neuropsych assessments. Now, I, I also you're in private practice. So if, if families want to reach out to you just privately, what's, what's the best way? Sure. Yeah. People are, are more than welcome to reach out to me. My email address is ajordanwright at gmail.com. Um, you can email me and, and I can help you find resources, if it, even if it's not me. Um, I can help point you in the direction uh, of where you can get the best possible resources. Thank you, Jordan. Now, this has been this has been enlightening. And I thank you so much for coming and, and we'll be in touch. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.